You're listening to Inside Acting. To find out more and make a donation, visit InsideActingPodcast.com. Hello and welcome to episode 32 of Inside Acting. My name is Trevor Elga. And I'm AJ Meyer. And on this podcast we interview actors, directors, casting directors, agents, managers, filmmakers, anybody involved in the entertainment industry and we package them up into this little podcast and we deliver it to an iTunes near you. And what we're trying to do with that, according to our website, is crack the code of the entertainment industry one conversation at a time and those conversations include you... Our listeners. So, you're doing this like weird interpretive dance thing while you're talking. It's great. Why do you have to? This is an audio podcast. I, I can know. do whatever I want. No, it's cool. I just wanted people to know that you look a little weird right now. And I'm asking, why are you telling people that? <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's like this scuffle. I know. <laughs> Fighty. Uh, and to get in touch with us and, uh, you know, put your, uh, put your bets down for who would win. It's Trevor, by the way. He would totally whoop my ass <laughs> in a fight. Uh, you can visit our website, InsideActingPodcast.com, where you can find all the different ways of getting in touch with us. Uh, on, on today's podcast, we have part one of a two-part interview with an actor named James Leo Ryan. He's a, a guy who's become a friend of mine, and he's a he's a, done a good, solid amount of guest star roles on just about every major primetime network television show you can imagine. So um, we're very excited to have him. He's going to talk about just being a working co-star actor and uh, how he kind of created his life in such a way so that he can do that on a regular basis. It's good stuff. So make sure you stick around for part one of that. So, dude, um, I want to be like, what's going on with you? But I, I know what's been going on with you because <laughs> we've we've been doing these shows for the past three, four months, and now they're over. Yeah, yeah. Trevor and I thought it'd be interesting to have a little discussion about um, the idea of post show, postpartum show depression. <laughs> Ugh. Can we coin that term? I, 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 don't, th- I don't think we should. Trademark I think that. There's like a mom out there who would like, get, you know, call her voicemail and be like, "You have no idea. Uh, yeah, really. Why does she sound like that? My mom doesn't sound like that. I don't know, but this mom would. <clears throat> this mom would. She would be very upset. Yeah. So we're we're going through our little uh, post war cycle closing depression separation anxiety yeah. depression thing yeah and it's just so weird i came home last night didn't know what to do with myself uh you know it was like doing laundry clean my room did the dishes it was like all the stuff that like i would have done yeah had i you know come home at a normal hour any other night of the week yeah didn't you know and just didn't have a rehearsal didn't have a show it and, and just didn't know what to do with myself th- that that kind of readjustment to you know quote unquote civilian life is nothing to be scoffed at, you know? It's like, that. that's the, one of the crazy things about actors is like you have this crazy highs and lows and adjustments with not only your schedule, but like your energy, you know, your, your kind of creative energy. And it's like all of a sudden, all yeah. this time and energy we've been putting into to making these shows the best possible thing we could have ever done, all of a sudden it just goes into where, you know? It's like we've got to find something else. Right. Yeah, there's like this... Um 
it's like it's like an energy outlet and like you said like a creative outlet and and it, all this was flowing out of you and then all of a sudden it just completely stops yeah just uh, really abruptly i mean i wonder if there I, there's probably some acting teacher or acting coach or uh, director or somebody out there who has like psychologically broken this experience down and has like a way of dealing with it you know yeah <clears throat> like here's what you should do <laughs> here's the 10 steps to making it through you know the week or two after you close a show there has to be some you know or maybe you guys can tell us um send us an email send us a voicemail how do you deal with the post post show depression and the other thing that i was saying to trevor earlier is it, it, if you are listening to this podcast out there and you have not had the experience of doing a live show do anything you can in your power to, to make that happen um join a local theater company find a community theater in your area <clears throat> there is nothing 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 quite like that experience i've never experienced anything like it before in my mm-hmm. life i don't i don't know i don't know about you trev but I, I actually, know, i've never done a feature film before so i don't know if that's anywhere near similar but i i, I can't think of another yeah i, I would imagine it would be because you you create a, a, a sort of surrogate family when you work on these things you know especially when you're doing something as as intimate as acting you know it's a very intimate way to connect with people um so when you're filmmaking when you're making a television show when you're on stage you know working with the scripts and and doing theater it's we can drop in that quote from katherine hepburn here um where she says i was born with an in is it you've got it pulled up i think right yeah i was born with an enormous need for affection and a terrible need to give it yeah, I think that pretty well sums up the actor uh, condition. Yeah, well, I mean, it came out... I mean, the reason we had to look up this quote, just so you know, to give it some context, is we were talking about um, the, sh- the 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 last show in the war cycle, Gospel According to First Squad, which is all about, you know, these, these you know, guys, guys with guns, and they're in, in combat, and they're in uniform, and, you know, they're, you know, dropping the F-bomb left and right, and, you know, the show closes, <laughs> we all just became <laughs> these, like, little, like, boys, we were just like, do you want to, can we please keep hanging out, yeah, like, I don't, I we were backstage after the, you know, right before the final curtain, just giving each other big hugs, and, like, I don't yeah. know. It's really... Uh, it is funny. Because you have these, you know, like, our cast is not, like, dudes to scoff at either. We're not, like, sissy guys. You know, a lot of these guys are, like, <laughs> big, like, just muscle-bound, like, guys you would not want to fuck with. And then, like, after the show, they're like, I'm really going to miss you guys. You know? Like, like, we should all hang out and, like, you know, have beers and drink tea and, like, play Scrabble. It's like, cool. I'm putting Scrabble on my list, my, like... T- list of top 10 things to deal with post-show depression right, right. <laughs> i'm just i'm putting another scrabble yeah. scrabble done. well what's interesting about this is because you could eat very easily i heard somebody say that like a lot of actors get into drugs you know and, and seek extreme experiences because the high that you reach when you're on stage in front of an audience or you're you know in a major film and you you've got these great scenes and like the the kind of spiritual high that you that you get when you do that and then you drop to these huge lows, like kind of what we're dealing with now. Yeah. It's like we did three shows on Saturday to, to oversold mm. audiences, and now it's like we're back to regular life, and nobody gives a shit who we are. And, you, know, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like you're, you're on top of the world for, for those moments, and then yeah. it's like you fall. So it's like you got to be careful. I mean, we had a listener write in, um, and he was telling us about his schedule, and it was a pretty packed schedule. He, he almost didn't yeah. give himself room to even sleep. Yeah. And I was kind of like... You know, like you got to take care of yourself, but I, I also understand the 
the urge to be like, no, got to keep moving, got to keep moving, got to keep working, like got to got to get back to the next thing, got to get back to this, you know? Yeah, and that's a decent segue. I mean, we should probably address that. That this email came in from one of our, our longtime listeners. I don't, you know, I can't. The email's pretty long because of what he's referring to, so I don't want to go into all these details. But he basically, like Trevor said, kind of laid out his schedule for us and. Trevor and I both looked at it and we're like, we got to tell this guy to get some sleep. <laughs> I mean, that's like, it's a very, I mean, we we're simplifying it way, way down. But I think the main point that Trevor is trying to say is make sure that you're taking care of yourself and that you're really, you're a, being a balanced person outside of your acting mm-hmm. career, mm-hmm. you know, because if you're counting on your acting career and the things you're doing for your acting career, um, and, and, and that's your, like your sent that's, that's the only thing in your life and everything revolves around that. You, you're not going to be a very balanced person. And I think that's how people get into, well, one of the ways that people get into drugs and alcohol and so on and so forth. The other way is I, I'm reminded, I think I might've talked about this on the podcast before, but I'm reminded of, uh, um, something I heard, I'm going to paraphrase it, but it was something I heard, uh, John Travolta say after <clears throat> Heath Ledger died and, and, and I can't remember if John Travolta was on a show or something, but somebody was interviewing him and he was talking about it and he said, you know, you hear these stories like Heath and uh, River Phoenix and, and stuff like that. And um, he said, I think, I think what happens to actors very often is that they are the most sensitive citizens among us. Like the, they feel the most. And so as uh, consumers on the other end of that, we are sort of expecting that from them because that's what we pay them to do. We pay them to feel. Wow. We pay them to 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 feel this, um, you know, these certain emotions and go through these certain things, and that's what they're paid to do. And some people are very very good at it, like Heath was. I mean, I, he's one of my favorite actors. I'm so sad that we lost him. And he said, <clears throat> and what that leads, to, what that can lead to sometimes is you feel life so much that all you want to do is dull it. You know, and so you end up doing these crazy things, having these, you know, taking drugs or do, doing these crazy experiences to kind of, as you were saying, Trevor, try to balance it out artificially. So yeah. you have these crazy high highs and these and these low lows right after the high highs of closing three shows in one day. Mm-hmm. That's a high high, right? And you have these low lows right after. Right now, where we're feeling this sort of postpartum show depression, <laughs> whatever we're calling, whatever it, we're yeah. calling it. And some people do choose to balance it out, make themselves happier during the high, the, the low lows and, and try to calm themselves down during the high highs uh, artificially. I thought that was really interesting, you know, because it was one of the most respectful things I heard about, about Heath's passing that didn't really pull any punches. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's not like John Travolta was saying like, oh, he didn't do anything wrong. But it's also not like he was saying, you know, he's an idiot and you know, basically OD'd. Yeah. You know, it was this very balanced view from somebody who's been in the business a long time. It's really interesting. I never thought of it that way, um, that we pay our actors to feel for us. That's really, really interesting. Actually, you know, this is a good segue too, because um, something that we started to do very early on in the podcast that we wanted to kind of bring back was uh, the pick of the week. And um, the reason we wanted to, to do this is not only to just to share kind of good information and resources with everybody uh, who listens, but also because, um, like, I, I, I was talking to AJ about this before we started recording, and he was like, can you tell me why we're doing this exactly? Um, you know, like, like in what context? 
and I thought, yeah, it's it's really all about like as artists, we have to kind of re. I think Julia Cameron says it really well. She wrote The Artist's Way and a bunch of other books about writing, and she said, you know, we've got to kind of restock the. I think she calls it restocking the well or restocking the pond. You know, we've got to continually uh, feed ourselves experiences and artistic works in order to draw from them when we, you know, sit down to be creative ourselves. Hence uh, the pick of the week thing. So AJ, what do you got for uh, for this week, dude? Um, I actually have a CD or a, an album. I don't know. Yeah, I, I can't, we shouldn't. We probably shouldn't use the word CD anymore since those What's aren't going to exist. Yeah, those aren't going to exist for very much longer. It's kind of. I feel kind of bad. Right after I discovered their music and fell in love with it, I found out that my friend is in it in the band. They're called um, Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. Their music is like it's so different than anything else I've ever heard. It's sort of like a combination of like. Stuff you might have heard back in the 70s with, like, folk rock, indie yeah. rock. Yeah, you, you were playing it before and I, a little earlier, and I was like, I don't know quite how I'd classify this. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's like it's, a hybrid of, like, four or five different genres. Yeah, and I've just been, like, listening to the entire album on repeat uh, recently, and their, their aesthetic as a band, not just musically, but also, like, with their music videos and, and all the art that they put out and stuff, the artwork for their CDs and stuff, is just so different and interesting and it's been uh a lot of their music is very um i I don't know if inspiring is the right word i just like listening like i said i've just been listening to it on repeat lately Mm -hmm. and like i don't know dancing around it's kind of it's kind of hard to explain like it just it makes me happy let's put it that way so what's the name of the album uh the album is called up from below there was a deal on i i don't know if it's still going on but it was like ten dollars for the the whole album on iTunes, and they have like two music videos and like three bonus tracks. I love when it. iTunes does that. So you end up with like sixteen songs and two music videos for like yeah. ten bucks. It was amazing. Like amazing. Bundle a bunch of stuff in there. <clears throat> yeah, I love that. Yeah, it was great. Uh, the, a book that I that I read a long time ago, well, a couple years ago, and then I, I just picked up again to kind of read, and I've decided to make a commitment to kind of constantly be reading this book. Um, because it's a short book and it's it's written in such a way that you can just pick it up and open to any random page and just like soak up the wisdom and and whatever from it, you know, I like within, within like a few that. minutes. Yeah, it's called The War of Art by a guy named Stephen Pressfield. Actually, I believe that Stephen Pressfield is one of the guys who informed a lot of uh, um, Tom's writing on Gospel According to First Squad. I think I sent a couple videos out on our project board. He's, he's a brilliant writer. Um, he really understands the creative process, and he also is very involved with. Uh, there's like a group of people that that really likes to talk online about what's best to do over there in the Middle East and and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And they they're they're kind of always uh, putting forth new theories and philosophies. Anyway, he had a couple of vid- he had a video series he put together about about you know what our approach should be and things like that. And it's really really smart stuff. But his book is called, is called The War of Art. Um, and uh, it's just all about, like, really, if I had to sum it up in, in just a couple words, it would be about fighting what he calls resistance with a capital R. Basically, you know, what we all kind of fight uh, as creative people who, when we sit down and we have all these distractions, you know, we have Twitter and Facebook and YouTube. And, Ugh, you know, yes. anytime that you want to sit down and create something or go to the gym or or do something that's maybe a little bit scary, like... All the different things that pop up for us, he calls that resistance. So this whole book is about fighting the resistance and getting through and actually sitting down and doing your work. And then what happens when you do actually sit down and do it? The kind of things in the universe that shift and take place. He gets a little new agey as the book goes on, but it's really, really brilliant stuff. The book's like probably seven bucks online. Um, it's a really short read. Can't recommend it enough. Sweet. 
Yeah. So on that note, should we just roll into this interview? Let's do this. Cool. So this is part one with actor James Leo Ryan, co-star... Extraordinaire. Extraordinaire. (laughs) That's the word I was looking for, extraordinaire. Um, So enjoy this, and we'll see you guys on the other side. Okay, guys, welcome back. Uh, it's Trev, and I'm sitting here with James Leo Ryan, who's a, a friend of a friend, who's also an actor, who's who's got a nice long list of credits on IMDb, and who's been working pretty consistently in Hollywood for, Jimmy, would you say like the past seven, eight years now? I would say yes. Yeah? Okay, yeah. yeah. Like, 2002 is when I really made the commitment to uh, LA. Yeah, and, and it shows. Like, on, that's on your resume or your IMDb, that's really where things start to kick in. And, and you've worked on um, The Shield, uh, CSI. You were in uh, one of the Species movies. Yeah, Species um, 3. You were, I mean, you've got a, just a ton of, like, co-star and guest star credits. So, very excited to have you uh, on the show. Thanks for uh, being thank here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, um... We, you know, our, our podcast, we'd like to really kind of start at the beginning with each kind of of our guests to get a feel for how they got started. You know, there is no one way to, to get your career up and running, but um, what was it like for you? I mean, I, I read that you at first were like a, you were a school teacher, I think, for a while. I was. I, I started acting when I was six. You know, I was in a uh-huh. school play. I fell in love with it. Um, my parents were really supportive. I told them I wanted to be in an acting class in my, uh, you know, at the local theater in the Midwest, mm-hmm. and they uh, they allowed it, and I loved it, and that's what I did. So I did a lot of theater and kind of summer stock and community theater. I went to college with all intentions of being a theater major, but I discovered that um, to be a theater major, I went to college, uh, which was Denison University. Um, that I had to not only if I wasn't in each show, I had to work backstage at each show, and you know I was interested in being like in a fraternity and doing some social things. So I, I switched my major to an English literature major. So I got to read some great plays and study playwrights, and then I got to also take as many acting classes as I could. And uh, I did quite a few shows, did summer stock during those summers, and then I uh, I moved to New York. But because I moved with an English literature degree. I uh, I got a, uh, a job at a prep school on the Upper East Side, and so I taught for three years. I taught American literature for three years and um, did acting uh, during the summers and at night. But my intention the whole time was to be a was was to, uh, to be an actor. And I always I thought I was an actor since I was six. Right on. Yeah. Right on. Cool. So so when you were when you were teaching then, what was your what kind of what, what was your thinking? Were you just kind of saving money? Or were you just waiting? Or were you? I mean, you were you were acting. You said kind of at night and stuff. But I was. You know what? I guess it was always drilled in my head that you had to have kind of a fallback job. So that was what that was going to be. I was always going to be a, a teacher if I had to be. If like the acting thing didn't work out, I was going to go back to teaching. And so that's why I started. And so I thought, well, you know what? I, I need to have some kind of experience if I'm going to go back to doing this, to being a teacher. Right. Right. So that's what I did. So I taught for three years. And um, I love it and I miss it. Actually, yeah. but you know, I mean, my passion has always been has been to act, and so cool. I've been lucky that I've I've gotten to follow that. Cool. So you taught for three years. You taught American literature. Was that high school level or high school? Just out of curiosity. Yeah, high okay. School. Yeah. Cool. And then and then you did some summer stock and stuff, and then you finally came to a point where you just were like, okay, it's time for me to pursue this like a hundred percent. So oddly enough, my father said to me, it was right before uh, spring break, my third year teaching, and my dad said to me, you know, Jimmy, why are you 
why are you in New York? I said, because I'm an actor, Dad. He said, okay, but are you teaching or are you acting? <laughs> I said, I'm, uh, I, I'm doing both. And he said, have you just thought about maybe going full force and pursuing your acting career? And I don't know why. It, I, it was such a great supportive thing that he said. And part of the reason that I thought I should teach was actually because of my parents. You know, I thought, oh, they probably want to make sure that I can, I've got some kind of secure job. And once he said that, like kind of some pressure was released. So I, uh, that spring break, I decided, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to audition. I'm in New York. I have to get my equity card. And I lucked out. Um, I was, spring break was two weeks. I was in the right place at the right time, and I was able. I got a a, a job at a theater that was that would give me my equity card, and that was just kind of important to me if I was going to pursue acting full time in New York City. Mm-hmm. So I joined the Actors Equity Union, and uh, I gave my notice, and then I just started kind of acting full time, and it was great. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So you started. You were acting full time then, mostly in theater and. In New York, so Only, I, you've done a lot of musicals and stuff like that. So that's really your your kind of uh, home base, kind of. I guess I guess it way. is. You know, I, I've never really considered myself a, a singer or a dancer. Really, <laughs> I've just considered myself an actor who can move well, I guess, and can maybe yeah. carry a tune. Um, I'm, I've always been relatively smart about the things they audition for so actually if you look at my resume you know i've been lucky enough now to have some broadway credits and to look at them shows like les mis you'd be like oh this guy's a singer or uh showboat oh he's a legit singer i'm not really i just knew i I just saw the the breakdown of what kind of characters they needed and i got lucky you know Hmm. but you know growing up i did a lot of musical theater a lot of plays but strictly theater you know, in the back of my head, I, I knew I wanted to do some TV and film. I just wasn't sure when that was going to be, actually. Okay. Well, so, so when did you make the decision to move to L.A.? Because there, the, the market in New York is not bad. No. I mean, for, for, for film and television. In fact, it's great. Um, it's changed a lot, actually. Um, in 1995, I was doing um, the national tour of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Mm-hmm. And um, I found myself at the Pantages Theater. And I uh, met some agents and um, a great agent who, um, who, who signed me. When I got that show, when I got Joseph, I went to an open call. I didn't have an agent at the time. And so I was lucky to get that, that gig. Um, I did this tour. It was my first production contract, my first Broadway national tour contract. And I, um, I came to the Pantages. I'd been thinking in my head for the past, you know, I was on tour for maybe 11 months. And I thought, I, I think it's time. I think I want to, I want to come to LA and maybe see what happens with TV and film. Um, I came here, I met some people, I signed with an agent, I gave my four-week notice to Joseph, and then four weeks later I was here in LA, wow. and then I kind of started started to see if I could do some TV and film. So it was just a, it was just a switch in your head that was like, blink, okay, it's time to, time to make the move out west and, yeah. and get started. Wow, yes. that's cool. <laughs> That's cool. Now, so when you, you came out to L.A. then, and um, you started to have some success almost right away, or or was there a little bit of a, of a warming up period there? You know what? Um, I, when I, was, I was wigged when I was doing Joseph, and in my head, I thought at the beginning of that tour, I, I, I knew what our schedule was, and I knew that I was going to be coming to L.A. I knew I hadn't had any TV or film experience. 
I also, I don't know, I, I was a little bit smart about, about type. I was watching a lot of TV and film, seeing how I might fit in. You know, for, for 10 years, I was, my career was in theater in New York. And so people who came to LA when they were 18 had this huge jump on me. Mm. So I thought, what can I do to make myself stand out? And so because I was wigged in the show, I, um, I let my hair grow long. And so by the end of 11 months, my hair was like down to my shoulders. I had kind of this goatee thing happening. I wasn't very attractive. But I, and I knew that it might be pigeonholing. I might be pigeonholing myself, but it worked for me. And so, you know, when I, when I came to L.A., I was getting sent out for um, a lot of kind of darker roles or either kind of the surfer dude or the, uh, the stoner guy or the bad guy. And so I think because of my look, you know, my resume was just theater. Um, but I think because I had kind of a specific look, if, you know, if there was a pile of resumes on a, on a table, my picture might have stood out a bit just because of, of my long hair and my goatee. And I looked a little bit different than, than other, other people, I guess. That's so interesting. So you consciously were like, okay, this is how I can make myself stand out. Since I'm kind of lacking, so to speak, in these areas... I can make up for it with this. Right. Well, you know, when I, mean, I was told that if I had, you know, regardless of the credits I had, you know, regional credits or even Broadway credits or especially musical theater credits that nobody was really going to care. And that's why I did that because I didn't think anybody would. But I did find out, you know, the longer I was in L.A. that actually a lot of casting directors see shows in, in New York. They see musical theater in New York. It was a great way to break the ice yeah. to talk to uh, casting people that I met. Yeah. And, um it was just a nice thing to talk about, yeah. You know, before yeah. my audition. My my impression has been that a lot of casting directors are are really impressed when you have theater on your resume out in Los Angeles. I think so. I mean, I think most are. I mean, I think that a lot of theater trained actors they know how to take adjustments. Um, they know what um, how to scale their performances. You know, I. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think some, you know, musical theater has changed, especially, you know, now it used to be a little bit kind of, um, I'm making a huge generalization here and it's not really true, but I came from kind of more old school musical theater where it was just a little bit broader. And now you've got shows like Rent or, um, even Lame is actually, um, where you just, you know, you're mic'd and you have to be a little bit more real. You've got to have like a, you know, I mean, you should always be honest with your performance, no matter what show you're doing, sure, obviously. Sure. So, so then you would find that, that your, your training in theater and musical theater has really helped you out here. I mean, would you say that's pretty crucial to, I guess, I guess what I'm asking is if you maybe had not had so much experience in, on the stage back in New York and you would come out here maybe without that experience, do you think you would have had the same kind of success or do you attribute so much of your you're working in film and television to that. Oh, absolutely. That yeah, the yeah. training that I had in, in theater. Yeah. Definitely. As I said, I just knew um, how to make an, an adjustment. I knew um, how to make choices quickly. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really just from being a, a theater-trained actor. And what I, I lost my train of thought, but I think learning, uh, scaling down. You know, sometimes when you're auditioning for a theater, it's... You know, you can be auditioning in a room the size of your living room, and you've got to learn what that is. And sometimes you're actually at the, on the stage of the Neil Simon Theater, and you've yeah. got to know what that that is. You know how to get a, across that performance. So, um, yeah, it, it helped me a lot. You know, I had to learn a bit. Um, 
I would watch myself. I would tape myself out here because I, I wasn't sure. I did, you know, I was self-conscious when there was a camera on me. I didn't know what that was. You know, I've got kind of crazy eyes. Probably that's why I get a lot of those kind of crazy roles. But I learned I've got a lot of frenetic energy, which worked well for theater. You know, I got cast as the funny guy, the silly guy. And out here, I tried to rein it in, but because my even though my body might be not so frenetic, although usually I'm always kind of shifty or I'm moving around, my eyes can't always hide that. And it's interesting now that most of the stuff, if you look at IMDb, most of the stuff I do is that darker, kind of weirder mm-hmm. stuff, which is a lot of fun. Um, it's something that I never thought I could tap into. I never was cast like that when I was in New York, never with theater. Um, so it's been fun to be able to do both. Wow. You know, for a while, I let my hair, I cut my hair, I tried to kind of go back to more of a conservative, everyday man look, and I wasn't getting as much work, uh-huh. actually. So now I've got more of a, a shaved head, and, uh-huh. and um, you know, the stuff I'm being seen for is kind of that same thing. But I'm okay with that. You know, it's fun stuff, and right now, especially, there's so many great roles and, you know, great guest stars on shows like. Uh, uh, Sons of Anarchy and yeah, True yeah. Blood and all these uh, procedural dramas and um, you know the CSIs and Law and Order. Yeah, yeah. it's so interesting to me that that you are so. I I really like this because I one thing that I've been personally that I've been kind of uh, kicking around my head for a little bit is I've always really wanted to have an eyebrow piercing. I don't know why I've just always wanted to do it, and I've talked to some people about it, and you know the ear like the earring like I'm I'm kind of just like. I've kind of wanted to go a little bit more grunge just because like, I feel like that's a bit more of who I am. And, um, people listening to this are probably like, that's so superficial, but, um, but, but I've, I've shied away from it. Um, because a lot of people have said, don't limit yourself with your pictures, you know, and your acting and stuff like that. And some, but then there are other people who say, no man, be who you are because that's going to make you more specific and they'll see you for those roles more often. And it sounds like that's kind of, where a lot of your focus has been. It's been like, okay, cool. Like, what can I show them um, so that I can kind of nail those parts? Well, exactly. You know, I mean, I'm never going to be that um, upscale leading man, quote-unquote leading man thing. That's just not how I look I've got kind of a pronounced nose. Like I, I know what my look is, and I watch enough TV to kind of see where I fit in. Even with commercials, you know, um, I'm not going to be the guy selling uh, for Jaguar. You know, I might be the, the dude that sells Jeep. For me, it's been it's worked being specific. You know, as actors and as trained actors, you know, we know that we're capable of doing so much more, mm. but. Out here, especially, you know, you said the word superficial. I just know, I don't know if it's superficial, but I know that the minute you walk in, they're they're eyeing you from head to toe, and it's yeah. your look. And, you know, no matter what kind of education I've had or my schooling, I this is how I look externally. And, um, you know, if people see me as white trash, and that's yeah. going to get me jobs then that's what I'm going to show them. I think some of the mistake that, you know, I, sometimes I find this with, um, with some of my friends who are, are women out here who are really pretty women. Um, and even, you know, New York Broadway women, there's, I might get in trouble saying this, but there's like 
there's theater pretty, then there's television and film pretty, and they're they're different. And I think a lot of people, men and women, you know, they they a beautiful face out in LA is a dime a dozen, and um, just like a beautiful voice auditioning for Broadway is a dime a dozen, and that used to intimidate me at first. But I just I kind of I guess just because I'm a little bit older and I kind of know who I am. Um, I've tapped into kind of that part of me that I didn't even know I could play, that darker part of me. You know, I'd like to do more than that. I know I'm capable of doing more than just that dark, crazy, white trash thing. But um, <laughs> And, you know, hopefully as I get older, my, my type might change. Um, but right now that's where I am. And so I'm going with it. If it's getting me work, and, I, and it's really interesting work, and that's what I, I love. Yeah. So, you know, as far as like your, your, your piercing, I mean, the interesting thing about <laughs> your look, I don't know if uh, the people who are listening to this have seen pictures of you, but you've got a, quite a, uh, a leading man look, square jawed, but there's something really interesting about, you know, having, having a grunge thing to that, you know, yeah, who knows? Who I don't knows? know. I'm like, go for it. You know? Yeah. No, I, I've wanted to do it too, but you know, people say that it leaves scars and this and that, but there's makeup. I mean, you know, there's so many like ups and downs. I didn't think about that, the whole scar thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's why I've never done like piercings or actually, um, even tattoos just because of that. But yeah. I guess there is makeup that can, that can hide Yeah. That. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of against the tattoo thing actually, but there's a, there's an actor, um, one of my jobs is I work for Santa theater group and, um, one of the actors who comes to a lot of those premieres and stuff that I work at or openings, I guess, uh, his name, I think his name is Robert Lasorda, and mm-hmm. he's he's like the bald kind of like Mexican mafia guy with tattoos up to his ears. Oh, I know, who, I know who he is. Yeah, and and like I look at that guy and I think like this guy, like if there's ever a Mexican gang member, like lead Mexican gang member that needs to be cast, this is the guy they go to. And I've seen him everywhere. He's been on every TV show ever made. He works a lot, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah, and it's because he's so specific with his look. Right, he, and you know what it. it one day he may get hired to play the goofy romantic lead in some indie film that's going to win all sorts of awards at Sundance and Cannes because they did cast him as that because I'm sure he could play it but it's I think it limits you less than people think it does it's it's more just like who you are you know what I, I think mean? so too I mean yeah. absolutely and I think bottom line is just what kind of job you do you know if you if someone doesn't know you and you go into their office and they see you as this certain thing and you know and for me because innately I'm not really dark as I said before I've kind of got more of a frenetic energy a little forward and um, sometimes I have to like pull myself back before I even step into the room because I can't kind of walk in and say hey I'm Jimmy how you doing and then all of a sudden be like actor dark guy <laughs> so I oftentimes when I come in I kind of bring that energy with me um, which uh, has worked for me mm-hmm. um, for the most part but you know then it's important they know that that's not really who I am you know I want to get the job but I think that you know even if someone books me as some because I, I have a specific look uh, then it's about doing a good job with that and getting to know people then they can see this whole different side of you oh yeah so. yeah and that's really interesting because, I mean, because this is a great segue because we're getting to now, like, just the slew of co-star and guest star roles that you've had on, on all these great primetime network TV shows. Um, but something we get on the podcast a lot is is people have questions about auditioning and, you know, the kind of mental approach to all that. And you just said, like, sometimes I'll bring in this kind of dark energy with me. and But I also want to show them that I'm a good person to work with, you know, because I think that's probably... 
in my experience now, I'm learning that's probably 60, 65% is just, okay, is he going to be a problem on set or is he going to be a cool guy? Right. You know, it's, it's less about what you can do and more like, is he, does he look right for it? And he's going to be easy to work with. Is he coachable? Really? Right. You know? I had an audition for a, a guest star on a show called The Job out of New York City. And um, it was for this junkie. And um, it was a great thing. And the people, the casting people didn't know me in New York. And I, you know, I'm not one of those guys that is like goes into the audition waiting room, like all angsty and like, you know what I do? I sign in and I kind of leave because I kind of don't like that energy around me. These actors who are like all preparing and like that yeah. kind of thing. I mean, everyone's yeah. got to do their own thing. Like I get that. But um, I try to do that work before I get there. But I'm just not one that, that is, can I got a pace. I can't like really sit with a bunch of people who are, are chatting before the audition. I've got to kind of still kind of keep in my head what, what I'm going to do. Um, but for this one in particular, um, it was a chunky and I had to, uh, I had, you know, quite a bit of material. And so I, I signed in and I, I walked out of the space and when they brought me in, they didn't know me. And I, it's such kind of a, it's a fine line. You know, I want to show them that I've made a choice as the actor. And, um, I did make a strong choice and I was kind of freaky when I went in there. And, you know, normally I would never, ever meet someone and say, Hey, what's up, bro? Like I would never, that's not me, but I just felt like in this case, I had to kind of do that at the, it was maybe a risky thing, you know, they're going to be like, Oh, who's this dude? Like, you know, or right. this guy's weird. And so I did my audition, I finished. And then I like, I, then I kind of brought, put, took the curtain away and I said, right. you know, Hey, thanks you guys. Thank you so much for seeing me. Then there was kind of like this sigh of relief. And, um, <laughs> you know, then they spoke God, to me. not really a psycho. <laughs> yeah. Junkie. Crazy and then they, uh, they, they talked to me and I, got lucky and i booked that one awesome but it's 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 tough going in you know and it's equally tough when someone does know you and you've got to come in because you know i'm a character actor and it's like god I, I you want to make it organic as possible and if you're doing something a little bit outrageous that person behind the table if they know you mm. you just it's mm. like how do you make this really organic and and not take them out of the audition by saying oh he's acting now Right. Oh, doing that's this good. Thing. How do you how do you deal with that then? I mean, like, when is it just a, a, a audition by audition type of thing that you kind of yes. just gauge? And sometimes you get it right, and sometimes you don't. Is yes. It, yeah. Huh. Exactly. That's such a tough thing to swallow as an actor. You know, it's like uh, you know, sometimes this person's not going to be receptive to that kind of thing. Right. Or or maybe you know, yeah, like you said, you know that person, and it's like, oh crap. Well. Let's try it's so subjective, it yeah. you know, all of it is sub subjective, yeah. you know, one, you can do, have one audition and do it e the exact same way for two different people. And one person loves you and you book the gig and the other person, no call back. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> you know? All right, welcome back. Hope you dug part one of our interview with James Leo Ryan. We'll be back next week with part two. And then uh, we got some really exciting stuff uh, in the works for some upcoming episodes. Oh, so, yeah. So if you're not a subscriber, you know, you should go and subscribe now. Um, <laughs> I think that about does it for episode 32. I mean, it's kind of like this this weird kind of like, we're sad episode. But, uh, um, you know, hopefully you guys got some good stuff out of it. <laughs> well, um, uh, I, I, I would love once again to hear... 
people's thoughts on you know what they do for their uh, post show partum depression. Yeah. How do you how do you organize your life after it's been so organized and all of a sudden you have all this free time and energy just to open up? What do you guys do? Yeah, give us to, some ideas to hear give, about uh, that. Give the other listeners of the podcast some ideas. Yeah. That would be really cool. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and you can do that. <laughs> Look at that, that segue. You can do that by sending us an email at insideactingpodcast at gmail.com. Leave a comment on the website at insideactingpodcast.com. You can uh, shoot us a, a comment on Facebook. Uh, we are just on just search for inside act on a just Facebook do a search and you can <laughs> you can like us there. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash inside acting yeah. or our individual accounts. I'm twitter.com slash digital actor. I'm twitter.com slash Trevor Algott. Um, you can send us a voicemail. We always love receiving those. Uh, our voicemail number is of course one two one three two actors. That's one two one three two 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 eight six seven seven. You can leave us a review on actorrated.com you can leave us another review or a different review or the same review with five <laughs> stars attached to it on iTunes. Yep. And uh, lastly, but not leastly, you, you can, can buy us a bagel. Can, yes. Yeah, we, we just added this in the or last episode. L- or what is it? Bagel? Lunch? Bagel? Podcast? Coffee? Lunch? Podcast. Oh, okay. the four There's four. There's four. Yeah. Bagel? Lunch? No, Bagel Coffee Lunch Podcast. Yeah, we have a, a couple different ways now for you to contribute to the podcast in a very tangible form, um, you know, i.e. monetarily. Um, so you can just you can make a donation for any amount. Um, you know, if it's ten cents, great. If it's ten dollars, great. If it's you know whatever amount you want, or um, we set up a recurring monthly subscription. So now, if you guys really get a, a you know a lot out of the podcast and you want to kick us three bucks five bucks ten bucks on a monthly basis um right above the donate button on the website on the right hand side is a little monthly subscription button you can cancel at any time and remember all these expenses you can write off as education expenses if you're an actor or even if you're really just anything in the entertainment industry well it's a, a donate well and a donation is just a donation right I mean, yeah it, but we don't have like a, a we don't have like a there's a oh, special status right right you have that. to be a 501c3 yeah so you have to be an okay. actor or something all right, so I think that does it for episode 32. Uh, my name is Trevor Algott. I'm AJ Meyer. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, fight the resistance. <laughs> Let's try it one why more time. Why did you change your voice? <laughs> because you were looking at me. Why, did you, turn on, why did you turn on your extra podcast? <laughs> <I see> podcast. <laughs>